Welcome to episode three of the Greek Americans podcast. On this episode, I am joined by Father Chrysostomos to talk about his journey into priesthood and his thoughts on Greek Orthodoxy. I hope you guys enjoy listening to us, and thanks for tuning in. So I want to say hi, Father Christostoma. How are you? Hi, Maria. I'm doing great. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. Thank you for um, doing this with me. I think um, I think it's going to be a really great episode. I'm really happy to be here talking with you, and uh, I'm really looking forward to our conversation together. Great. Um, so I guess I want to start just by um, getting to know a little bit about you. I met you through one of my good friends, Christina, but I don't know much else except that you are a priest um, and a young priest. So if you just want to tell me, you know, what church, um, how long you've been a priest, we can go from there. Okay. So um, as you said, my name is Father Chrysostomos. I'm 35 years old. I actually became ordained uh, almost 10 years ago. I became a deacon when I was uh, 25 years old. Mm -hmm. And then uh, I was almost a deacon for about three years. And then I was ordained uh, a, a priest when I was 28 and became the head priest of Proistamano in Greek uh, for Annunciation Greek Orthodox Church in Manhattan, the Upper West Side. So I have been uh, at uh, this parish for almost uh, seven years now, come November 24th. I've been the parish priest there. Wow, that's, that's actually really impressive. And you're the youngest priest I've ever met. And I just want to ask, like, how did you make that decision to, at that young of an age, to be a priest? Um, is it something you wanted growing up? Did you grow up in a religious household? So... My father uh, was a priest, so I grew up in a priest family. Mm -hmm. I have four brothers and one sister. Uh, we are eight years apart uh, between the six of us, so you can only imagine uh, that although uh, close in age right now, and it's a lot of fun being together uh, mm -hmm. when, when we are together, unfortunately not too many times now, uh, but uh, we uh, had quite a household when we were kids uh, with our parents and uh, and definitely, um, you know, with my my dad as a priest. And of course, there's always the, you know, the, the front, the front burner of, of being a, a Greek Orthodox family, that first family of a congregation. Right. Mm -hmm. Because you're always looked as that, that example yeah. and we'd act and, and people are always watching and, yeah. but our house was really a Christ center household. I definitely would say, you know, uh, where we really, um, our parents really instilled, um, Orthodox values and, uh, the, uh, the love of Christ in our home. And so uh, definitely as a young boy, uh, I am told, and I, I remember slightly that all I wanted to do was become a priest. And so when I was, uh, let's say five years old, I remember the other people say earlier that I said, oh, I, I want to become a priest, but I, that I wanted to become a celibate priest. 
<laughs> so I, I knew from that age that that's what I wanted. And, and as the years went on, um, the love of the church grew in my heart. And I um, loved especially the church music. Mm-hmm. And uh, I became my dad's chanter at 11 years old. Oh, wow. And all that happened was is that we were at a very small parish at uh, the Assumption in uh, Greek Orthodox Church in Price, Utah. And my dad had no chanter. And something had happened. Uh, I think the, the choir director had become ill and couldn't lead the choir anymore. Mm-hmm. So my dad was doing these liturgies all by himself. And I'll never forget, it was in that summer of 1996 when my mom uh, goes to my dad, you know, you know, Christopher was my name at the time. You know, Christopher really knows all the, the liturgy. Why don't you have him, you know, sing, chant the, chant the liturgy for you? So August 15th, the feast day of the parish comes along in 1996. And there I went up to the chanter stand and had my first liturgy. Of course, everyone is astounded at the fact that an 11-year-old could chant the liturgy, let alone in Greek. Of course, there was a couple of different hymns that I didn't know. And I had my dad chant, and I went in and did my altar boy thing uh, mm-hmm. because I had been an altar boy uh, for all those years before since I was five. Wow. So, but I, again, I loved the choir. I loved the music of the church. And then uh, because people from the choir had seen me become the chanter. They asked me, what well, can you lead us? So I became the choir director at 12. Wow. <laughs> so I, I, yeah, it was something that I, I really, really loved. Um, and of course, as the, as time went on and, and high school came, it became a very serious discussion that I wanted uh, to go to Helena College, Holy Cross, uh, where my, both of my parents went and met. Uh, and then, uh, then later married uh, as a result from their meeting at Helena College Holy Cross, that that mm-hmm. was the road that I wanted to take as well as to, to become a Greek Orthodox priest. Uh, so I went to Helena College upon graduation in 2003, graduation from high school, that is. And then I attended Holy Cross uh, Greek Orthodox School of Theology. Um, of course, uh, you know, I didn't let the five-year-old in me say, oh, I want to become celibate. And that was the end of that story. It was, mm-hmm. you know, uh, of course, you, you have to search the depths of your heart. And, and to, you know, I, I dated. And, uh, but I felt that as the calling for me, and I believe it is definitely a calling that uh, one to, to, to live the celibate life and not to become married. Um, a lot of the times I get asked, well, how, how can you live as a celibate? And my response is, well, why did you want to get married? Because mm-hmm. it's something that we feel is, is given to us from God, right? Mm-hmm. Well, whatever we do in life, we're called to do. And part of that calling for me, I believed, and I still believe. And my parents were 100% behind me uh, then and now that, uh, that this was part of God's plan for me to be a celibate priest. And so when I graduated um, Holy Cross in 2010, I began putting my paperwork in for ordination. And then the following year, 2011, uh, I was ordained a deacon, uh, in which I went to, uh, worked for a brief time for the metropolis of San Francisco for his Mm -hmm. eminence, Metropolitan Gerasimus, and went to Greece 
for a year and I was a second deacon for a metropolitan there. And then I uh, began working for the archdiocese here in New York City, uh, where I was assigned uh, in the office of the chancellor, working for the rebuilding of St. Nicholas that we all know is yeah. St. Mm-hmm. Uh And then uh, I was ordained a, a priest in 2013. Wow. Uh, so yeah. here we are, the, the years go by so quickly yeah uh, yet uh it still feels like yesterday but i i'm i love uh my life i feel that my life is not something of, of a work or a job it's just a, a, a it, it's i love being with people i love ministry um and uh this is something that i wake up every morning and and can't wait to do so i'm i feel very blessed to be able to do that uh, because also too, within my own conversations with people, you always find people who say to themselves, you know, um, I do a job, but I'm not happy with my life and I, I don't uh, love my, my job or, or what I do. So I feel, my, feel myself, uh, for myself, very blessed to be able to um, uh, do, do something uh, and to answer the call uh, in my life uh, to do the will of God, whatever that may be for me. Yeah. Wow. That, um, I have so many, uh, questions. First of all, I want to say that's an amazing journey to know from a young age to have that calling in you. I don't know what it feels like, but it sounds amazing. And I mean, I do think that people are put on this earth for a specific reason. You might not know your reason right now, but, um, but for people that do and that like know it within them and feel it, I think is so great. And I'm jealous of you a little because what you were saying before, you know, um, people don't like their jobs. Not that I don't enjoy my job, but I don't know if it's something that I'm meant to do, but I have found that I can do hobbies that um, will fulfill my life that way. Um, but to have your job be so giving, you know, and um, to really make a an impact on um, the community in such a way and to be a leader of a community, you know, is, um, is actually something really inspiring. Although I, I feel extremely blessed that I knew what I wanted to do growing up as a young boy. Uh, I think that we're always in a state of learning, a state of becoming and whether or not someone knows at whatever age that they, that they are, what they want to be in life. I think that that's something that is always expanded. And, and, and I don't believe that anyone who doesn't know exactly what they want to do, whether coming out of high school, let alone being a five-year-old telling you exactly where they see their life, uh, but even in their 20s and 30s, life is uh, something that is always uh, developing. And I, and I feel that who you are today is not necessarily who you will be tomorrow. And you have to believe that whoever you are today is made for you in order to be what you'll be in the future. And so never, never be uh, uh, discouraged or shamed because I should be in one place and I'm not. Mm -hmm. uh, God will always open the doors necessary. And you always have to believe that you're in the place that you're supposed to be for a reason, reasons that you may know and reasons that you may not know. So oh, take heart and, uh, and uh, put your trust in God and say, you know, wherever I'm supposed to be, uh, God, uh, uh, I'll, I'm here to do your will. 
uh, whatever that might be. And we can't underestimate our role and the power of ourselves in other people's lives. Mm-hmm. I think it's very important uh, for us to, to realize that we have an impact on people, even when we don't think we do. And I've seen that uh, so many times, even within my own ministry, people you don't even talk to, you know, very often, or people hear about you. Now we have a social media presence, right? Mm-hmm. Someone said to me one time, you know, father, you're like a celebrity, you know, priests are celebrities. And it's like, people know us before we know them. And that's why it's so important uh, for, uh, for all of us, whatever aura we give out, whether we as priests or even as the lay people that we are uh, an example for those around us. And if we can make the world a better place, by the example and the willingness to help and to love our neighbor. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. That was um, very wise and actually reminded me why I really like going to church. And it's because of the priest's sermons, you know, Uh, you know, sermons that priests give are very inspiring to the people. And I think for me that more than anything actually keeps me going back to church. Um, Just listening to priests break down, texts and and having them apply it in our real life and i think um you can learn a lot i think people go to church you know searching for a spiritual oasis a place of refuge a place of quietness and it's a place where you know in theory right we don't look at our phones we've silenced our phones yeah when do we do that when do we ever silence our phone and say or whether it's social media, any type of distraction in the world, how often do we do this? And you'll find the answer is very rare. And Sunday morning or another church service allows us this opportunity to say, you know what, I'm putting the world and keeping it outside. And in this dwelling, I'm going to focus on my time with God. Um, One thing that's really Uh, really very nice in our uh, camps across the nation. Many of them do what's called alone with God and where they take after the morning uh, matins or Orthodox service, uh, they have at least 10 minutes where they open up their Bibles uh, or even just sit quietly just to have that meditation with God, that prayer with God, that, that conversation. How often do we do this? in our own daily lives. And probably the answer from all of your listeners would be, we don't. Why? Because the moment we get up, we look at our phones, we see all the different emails and messages and someone needs this from us and someone needs that from us. And, you know, as soon as, well, we, we immediately go from sleep to work. We have this routine of a shower and, and brushing our teeth and combing our hair and, and, you know, going through, uh, a routine that we have, but we don't set aside time for ourselves and our time with ourselves and God to be able to say, you know what, God, I have so much going on this day, or I'm dealing with a lot. And a lot of the times, what the answers come when, when you're silent. Yeah, you're that, right. That is when the answers come. And that's God talking to us. If we're allowing this noise in the world to overtake us, can can you hear that answer? No. If I had two people beside you screaming at you, can you hear your own thoughts? No. Yeah. No. 
course, yeah. then you become, become anxious and have uh, anxiety and fears when you all you wish to have is peace and a calm feeling within your heart, right? We yeah. all want our, our hearts to be calm. And when they're not calm, our lives are what? They seem like the world is falling. The world is a mess. Mm-hmm. In our divine liturgy, how many times does the priest say, Irini Pasi, peace be with you? Or any other time in the liturgy, peace, peace, peace. We all desire peace. And that can mean so many different things to so many different people. So I think we have to be pray for this peace in our lives in order to find the serenity and the necessity of, of having this peace in order to calm our souls. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's exactly it. And I think um, it's funny because people, it's like the church knows this, you know, and has known this, but people forget. And then we try to reinvent ways to do things that we've already known for years, you know, for thousands of years, we've known this. Um, I feel that I'm lucky that I have been brought up in a religion to find that place, you know, um, and yeah, maybe I've, as I was going to college, maybe I stepped away from the church, you know, um, as I think that a lot of um, younger kids tend to do these days. But um, to know that the church will be there for me when I'm ready to go back and um, to find that time with God and to have that peace um, is, is really... Um, it feels like I'm not alone, you know? This reminds me of the parable of the prodigal son. And the prodigal son is, if we remember, is that the father gave all the riches to his son. And then the son, what does he do? He goes out into the world. He spends all his money and basically is poor without any money. Let's say, let's say that, that he's, he literally has lost everything. And then what does he do? He runs back to his father. Mm-hmm. And who is his father? The father represents God and we are the prodigal son. So the important thing for everyone to remember is that no matter how far or away someone who feels that they have drifted from God or from the church, that God is always there to open up his arms with, without any questions. And that's important within the parable too, is that the father uh, receives the running son to him without a dialogue, right? When we, mm-hmm. when we as children, uh, you know, uh, did something we weren't supposed to do with, mom and dad, right? You know, like we talked back or, or we got in trouble in some way, you know, at some point, what did we do? We start crying and we go for a hug, right? Mm-hmm. And all we wanted was mom and dad just to tell us how much we're loved and that it's okay. And that we learn from those mistakes. And sometimes we might become the prodigal son, not just once, but twice, but three times and four times. And to, for everyone to know that the church is always there and always open for anyone who uh, wants uh, to come back into the, to the fold. But God, even with those people who 
uh, are lost. God doesn't abandon them. God doesn't abandon us no matter how much uh, we in our lives have decided to abandon him and however we live our lives, uh, that, that God is, is, is always with us. And so that we have to keep this in mind. And, and sometimes we have to learn uh, the hard way in order to learn that, that simple thing, that God is always with us. Do you see um, a lot of younger of this generation, do you see them leaving the church? Like, is it very clear to you from your position? In reality, we grow up in our, in our families, right? And we uh, are learn from the example of our mom and our dad. Mm-hmm. And my mom likes to say this line, whatever the child learns, the adult doesn't abandon. Mm-hmm. So it really starts where? It starts from the home. Yeah. The priest only has your attention for how many minutes on a Sunday morning? Depending on how early you get there, how late you yeah. get there. Depends <laughs> yeah. on how, how much a person takes in, right? Mm-hmm. But the rest of the time when you're a, you know, a child and then become a teenager into your college years, you're under the guidance of your of your parents and so however the parents teach the children children will decide that this is what they want or don't want Mm -hmm. now at the same time there might be parents who taught their children really well and then their children still leave the fold a little but the important thing is is that for them to always know regardless that they're always welcome back into uh the life of the church no matter where they are uh where do we see um, young adults leaving the church. Um, I, I see them during their, their college years, this uh, wanting to be independent. They're learning how to be adults in the world. And they are learning that they have to make their own decisions mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. and decide who they are. And so a lot of the time you see uh, young adults who, are, who choose to be a part of it or choose not to be a part of it. Mm-hmm. A lot of the time we're seeing people come back fully, as you, you're alluding to, uh, when they've decided to, to, to become married, they come mm-hmm. back to the church, and then of course they want to baptize their children, and mm-hmm. then they become that role model back into the church of being those Sunday school teachers or Greek dance teachers or yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, basketball coaches yeah. or whatever it may be, because they want you as the young adult want what you had. So exactly. you take the role of your parents. So exactly. that's where you see a lot of people come back. I yeah. wish we didn't have that conversation of where do people leave and come back? Mm-hmm. Because mm-hmm. I, I feel that um, I think it's um, perhaps maybe the bad influence of just the, a trend mm-hmm. that ends up happening is that, oh, well, when I go to college, I'm just, I'm not mm-hmm. really uh, um, focusing on on going to church or I have so many things I'm doing. Yeah. Uh, but of course, you know, uh, people will decide their priorities, right? No matter how old we are and no matter how, what age we are, you're we right. decide what those are. Yeah, no, you're right. I think this phenomenon happens in the U S that we need to find ourselves by leaving our communities. It doesn't really happen in other 
countries. It's um, something that I I think there's this I, that idea that you need to do everything your parents told you not to do in order to figure out what you who you are. And then in like a movie, the 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 kid would go back to like what his parents originally told him, right? So um, it's like this weird cycle. The cycle of being rebellious. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you need to, need to. Oh, I need to try everything. Yeah. And, you know, and then and then I'll decide after I try everything. I'll yeah. Back to to how I uh, should or shouldn't be. Yeah, yeah. It's like the hero's journey in a way, but I just get nervous that uh, like that ending that you're just, you're going to go back, you know, is not happening or it's happening less and less. And it's this like internal fear that I, that I have for our culture. And I guess maybe I have to have more faith that they will eventually come to that last piece, you know? It's just something that I, I, I talk about with people and I think about, and um, I just hope that we as a culture don't forget the roots that have been cultivated for us by our ancestors and the generations before. I think that uh, the, the world is full of distractions and, and I think it's very easy to get caught up in those distractions. Mm-hmm. And we could literally sit and, and discuss an entire podcast on the distractions of the world. And so that's where you need to know yourself as best as you can in order to allow yourself to, uh, to, to pull yourself back in mm-hmm. and say, who, who is Maria? Mm-hmm. When you want, if, let's say if we were to take out a piece of paper and I asked you to write down what makes you, you could talk about who you are. Now, if you compare it to a list of things that might be distracting you, I could also ask you, are these their distractions? Do they define who you are? And maybe you'll say yes, but more than likely you'll say no. So it's, it's difficult when in life you're trying to differentiate between who you are versus what the world says you should be. Mm. And I think it's very difficult because the world is, is, is a total noise right now. Uh, No matter where someone sits politically or how they see the world or where they live the world and how they live the world, it's just noise, no matter where you are. And it's up to you and only you can decide that I want to live in the world, but not of the world. Right which is what we're all called, uh, called to do. So I think that's very important that even if, let's say, that we quote-unquote live our lives when we uh, leave our parents' nest, that we stay true to who we are because who we are is also who our parents made us to be. Mm-hmm. It's always mm-hmm. ingrained into your DNA. So yes. I think it's important not to uh, defy who you are or deny who you are Mm-hmm. Uh, but to be proud of who you are and say, okay, well, I am my own person and I do need to uh, seek and to search what more that is to grow the, your growth and development of that person. But sometimes we don't always have to go to the extremes in order to find who that person is. And that also becomes very dangerous because sometimes we go too far and then it's hard to, to bring us back. And then we look at ourselves and say, I look at myself in the mirror and I don't know who I am. Yeah. Uh, and so I think it's very important. Again, this all ties into 
um, having a relationship with God and having um, a, a, a truth to who you are and to live who that truth is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I have a question. So I know that, um, like, it's been known that the Catholic Church has scandals. I'm sure the Greek Orthodox one does too, um, although I don't really want to get into that. Um, I just want to ask you um, what you what your view is on on um, why it's still important to go to church, even if there are scandals within the institution. It's necessary for someone to separate the human element from the divine element of of the church and the divine element is is the uh the faith itself and the dogmas of the church separate from those who make human human mistakes we all make mistakes yeah every single one of us of course we expect better from some people right we, uh, we as children expect best from our parents uh we as parishioners expect better from our priests and our hierarchs. Uh, Sometimes it's easy because we're um, disappointed with certain people's mistakes. Uh, But as the faith whole and intact, that is separate from the human mistake of that priests or hierarchs make within the church and we have to remember to separate the two as hard and as difficult as that is um, that we don't go to church for the individual priest our clergy we go to church because uh, we seek salvation and and our, our union with jesus christ yeah i um i actually really believe that and i'm glad that you put it that way you're right we do have to make a separation it's funny because people are so quick to make separations about other institutions but for some reason the religious institutions get the most heat we could break down every almost every single institution that's ever created but does that mean that we have to tear the whole thing down no um, I th- and I don't and and I think you're right. It, it doesn't take away from God, and I think that it shouldn't. And there will be some some links in the chain that might you know become loose, but it's okay. We can tighten them again and um, and keep going forward. So I really through agree. Love with- and through forgiveness, right? Yes. Yes. And none of us are perfect beings. The only perfect person is whom. Christ, God. And so we have to to remember that all of us are uh, unfortunately susceptible to what? Making mistakes. Mm -hmm. And we do make mistakes. All of us make mistakes. Uh, No matter who you are, whether you're the priest or your mom or your dad or your friend or your relative, uh, whoever it might be, is that we could be offending people uh, without even knowing we're offending people or mm-hmm. we make a mistake or a transgression against someone and not have any idea. Mm-hmm. Uh, the important thing is, is that we ask for people's forgiveness and their love. Mm-hmm. And, but then there's a choice. The choice is whether that person does uh, forgive. Mm-hmm. And 
uh, I think that's the important key mm-hmm. to into this entire discussion of how we make judgments versus scandals that might happen yeah. uh, along with 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 the institution of the church. Mm-hmm. And I also think that you know um, it's really easy to criticize other people, but we find it sometimes hard to criticize ourselves. And I think that I'm under the belief that we have to fix our hearts ourselves first. We have to be careful um, who we judge and who we criticize because, um, you know, it's, it's hard work to fix yourself. It's an ongoing process. And I think that everybody is in different parts of that process, you know. And how do we do that within the church? We have the sacrament of confession. Mm-hmm. A lot of people think that it's uh, just a, a place to um, to detail sins. Well, we don't detail our sins in terms of this instance. I did this, and this instance I did that. We probably have done so many uh, sins we have no idea. But the important thing is to be able to bring them to God and say, "Look, I'm I need your help. I'm I'm uh, I, I struggle with these things in my life." And I need your help. And to have that um, spiritual father, to have that priest, to be able to guide you and to say, you know, I'm seeing um, this and this from our conversation, from what you're telling me. And hopefully he can guide you with something that you're able to uh, perhaps, uh, hopefully, a betterment of of yourself uh, and then your spiritual life. Because mm-hmm. I think it's so important to have the conversation. There's this total fear in terms of what confession is. And I'm scared. Well, we're scared to talk about ourselves, right? We're mm-hmm. scared to talk about our weaknesses and to look within ourselves and to have that introspection. And I think it's so important to be like, you know what? No, this is who I am and this is who, what I struggle. But in order to get better, we have to diagnose the problems, right? We go to a doctor. Do we like going to a doctor? No, I don't like going to a physical, even though I have an amazing doctor, a general practitioner. Um, I, I, it just, it feels uncomfortable. Then you go through the process and the exam. And then afterwards you're like, wow, that wasn't so bad. Mm-hmm. And so I think we always need to have those checkups uh, necessary in our lives. And then we can be better better uh, Christians and, and uh, better people for the world. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I think when you put it that way, it um, it's very compelling and actually necessary. So yeah, that's, but see, like, um, again, I'm going to point this out. We have reinvented in this world, new ways of um, solving issues that um, the people before have, before us have already kind of solved. Right. Um I don't want to compare um, confession with therapy, but um, I'm sure that a modern take on that, you know, would, it would be very similar in a way. You know, you're, you're, you're absolutely right. And I, I say it to some people, I say it's amazing how much money people spend on therapy sessions, but in reality, what they talk about in therapy are things that they would be discussing in confession, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm, yeah. Because they are, when you go to a therapy session, you're talking about your weaknesses or, or these are the things you need to work on or things you're struggling with. And that's what you do. What better uh, physician than, than Christ to bring them to and to say, these are the things I struggle with and I, I need your help. And so um, 
of course, priests and therapists, they don't have all the right answers. Yeah. Uh, some things come in time. And uh, I think it's very important for us to, to be able to uh, expose ourselves. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's very uh, a difficult process. Um, but I think that it's necessary in order to be able to heal and to, uh, again, like I said, become better people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, agreed. For everyone um, around us, I think it's, it's essential. Yeah. Now with COVID-19, the church doesn't have those fundraisers that it had before. The members that go to church have decreased. Is the church dealing with it on an individual level, like um, each church for itself? Are there talks with the higher-ups on how to deal with this as a whole community? I don't know how the church is broken down with metropolitan areas, or I I don't know the structure, but maybe you could... um, shine some light of course uh, so for me specifically i am the vicar of manhattan and the bronx uh, i'm directly under the chancellor and of course above him the uh, archbishop uh, of america and uh, from the beginning of the pandemic my job was to make sure that these parishes under uh, manhattan and the bronx uh, were in um, a position to be able to to dealing with the pandemic there are things that we had never dealt with before nothing will ever replace the in-person experience of worship but it is right essential uh you know for those people that might be shut-ins or people like yourself that are working and that can't come and that is something that a lot of these parishes across the nation were doing live streaming became um, essential <laughs> uh, and not just an optional thing and being able to live stream to uh, their parishioners and, and other people that wanted to tune in uh, to, to be able to, to have a worship experience of some kind of normalcy. Uh, of course, you brought up fundraisers, you know, everything has become digital. And part of my job was, you know, trying to urge these parishes to have an online giving platform, um, mm-hmm. something that, you know, a lot of these churches had never done before. You know, a lot of them were doing the old fashioned, you know, in the tray on a Sunday. Mm-hmm. And now you don't have people going uh, to church. So therefore, you know, if people wanted to, to offer a donation to the church, uh, you know, how are these parishes going to do it? So online platform giving, uh, you know, social media, uh, it's so essential. Um, you know, my parish has an Instagram, a Facebook account, Twitter, um, and, and it's amazing the different outreach of that you see that it has beyond your own parishioners. You don't know who's, you know, watching or who's benefiting spiritually from it. And it's always nice to hear those types of comments from people like, oh, I follow you or, you know, that quote really helped me today that you posted or, uh, you know, you brighten my day by, you know, putting up these types of, um, you know, audio clips of we have an amazing choir at my parish of the Annunciation and, and my chanter. And, and so we, uh, you don't know who you're ministering to. And I think that, uh, especially during the pandemic, is that, you know, ministry became uh, a different type of ministry. And, you know, one that uh, we couldn't rely on in-person attendance and find other ways to be able to, to reach people. Uh, so it, of course, it's something that's going to be ongoing throughout the pandemic because we're still in the pandemic. Mm-hmm. Uh, there, uh, you know, God willing, a vaccine um, can be found sooner than later. But even then, you know, uh, what is uh, the future hold for us? We don't know. We go day by day. 
you know, we do the best that we can, you know, whether it's continuing our ministries that we can through uh, Sunday school or Greek school via Zoom and, of course, parish council meetings and Philippos meetings. But, um, you know, I find people very lonely these days. You know, people mm -hmm. miss that social element. They miss the the aspect of parea, right? Mm -hmm. You know, like uh, camaraderie with people. Mm -hmm. and, uh, I think that um, it's, it's going to be tough as we... Um, the weather changes for everyone right now during uh, the next few weeks. Fall is really coming into swing yep. and uh, the Christmas holiday. And, you know, this is a time when people really thrive on getting together um, and uh, having camaraderie with one another. And a lot of the times that's focused and centered around the church. And if we're not able to hold those types of things, you know, people become very depressed and, um, we're, you know, we try as much as we can to keep in touch with people, but one conversation every couple of weeks or every three weeks, really, it's, 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 uh, that people thrive more than that. But of course, you know, you try to do as best as you can for everybody. So, yeah. uh, we just have to find what the new norm is and the new normal for everybody and, and just do the best we can as leaders. And of course, as parishioners, I mean, we need your help just as much as you need us. Uh, we, we, we can't do this alone. We're all co-collaborators together. And I think it's very important for, for all of us to remember that, you know. Mm -hmm. um, I think COVID really has given people the time to put things in perspective. You know, I think we take a lot of things for granted. You know, I'm sure um, the Greek community has taken church and all the church events for, gra for granted. I know I did. I was looking forward to the festivals this year. I mean, it's, um, it's an, an amazing time to go and give and, and see everybody again and, and connect with people on a different level. And um, we had it in a different way. Some churches had it in a different way. But, um, you know, the screen is completely different from that person-to-person -person interaction. I mean, as you were saying, I mean, we live streamed um, the Easter services, but, it, you know, it was good. I can't imagine doing that forever, you know. Um, what, do you, what is your outlook on um, the, the state of, of the church and where do you think that we will land after all this is over? Well, you certainly have to have hope right? Without hope, what do we have? <laughs> Nothing. Uh, you know, we can't dwell on uh, the negative of what we're experiencing. Mm -hmm. uh, because then that's, that's, uh, we're not doing ourselves any good by doing that. We have to have hope. And we have to believe that, uh, that some type of remedy to this situation is going to happen, right? Mm -hmm. So we'll pray for that remedy as we do every single divine liturgy. Um, the Archbishop, Archbishop Epitophoros and, and the Eparchial Synod has this, including a couple of new different petitions um, that the priest says in the beginning of the liturgy for um, the, the relief of the coronavirus. Um, but I, I feel that you had alluded to the fact that you know, we hope that people do miss the church and, you know, and that people have had time within the last seven or so months in order to reflect and really realize what we do have. Mm -hmm. Sometimes you don't realize the impact something has on you until it's what gone. Mm -hmm. And I think that right now for a lot of people, there's several people I have not seen since 
you know, the full closing um, starting from March 15th of this past year. Uh, there are people still who haven't come. There are, are several people who are nervous about coming, but then there are also people from another standpoint, they've become um, complacent. Sometimes it's easy to say, well, now I have a busy week and I can watch it online. I don't have to go. I uh, go to church. And now, now we're trying to, you know, try to figure out a way in order to convince people or inspire people to come back to church and say, mm -hmm. Hey, we're open and we're doing ministry. Um, you know, we're social, socially distanced and uh, we're following to the best of our abilities, you know, in order to keep people uh, safe mm -hmm. uh, from all aspects. Um, but, you know, please know that we're, we haven't gone anywhere. Mm -hmm. and it's important for people to know is that, that, that the church is still there. The church has been working even during the entire pandemic mm -hmm. uh, in that uh, we have not stopped helping um, or um, praying for people through this entire period of time. Great. Yeah. Um, that's good to hear. And, you know, I think um, I, I'm really happy that I had you on because the Orthodox, the Orthodox faith is such a integral part of the Greek culture. I think sometimes we can become cynical about it and we can forget, but I like to remind people that, um, you know, during the Ottoman years, the church was a solace and kept, um, Hellenism alive, you know, it's really responsible for uh, teaching Greeks to read and write, you know, under Ottoman rule in secret. There's this um, popular, like, idea of atheism, and it's, like, cool to be atheist now or whatever, but I think it's really important for us to have an open dialogue with our, you know, religious leaders and our religion in general. And I think Hellenism is tied to Greek Orthodoxy. You know, in Greece, it might be easier to hold on to that, right? In here in the US, I think it's a little harder. We definitely need to put the effort as a community. And so that's why I really wanted to talk to you and, and um, really talk about your journey and different other topics, because, you know, I think it's important for people to be able to talk about these things honestly and not in a cynical way. So I just want to thank you for your time. Is there thank anything else? Yeah, of course. Is there anything else that you want to add before we um, end? I think just to encourage people to keep the good fight, to keep the faith. And I think that's just so important for all of us during these trying times. Uh, the way the world is today, uh, our nation uh, and the, the, the state of the world health-wise, um, we really can be distracted and be uh, disheartened by the way the world is. And I think that it's important for us to, to uh, keep focused on what we need to focus. And once we do that, then we block out the world and we focus on, on what's the most important. Thank you, Father. Thank you very much, Maria. I really enjoyed uh, uh, this podcast with you. And uh, um, you'll always be in my prayers. Hi, Ari. So what did you think about the interview? Hey, Maria. I thought it was great, honestly. Uh, I really liked a lot about what... Uh, uh, Father Christosimo had to say and you know I, I never generally listen to priests but you know he, he kept me engaged the whole time and 
um, really uh, made me think about a lot of things. Yeah, I mean, me too. I I really like what he said. And um, even though I'm not the most, you know, religious person, um, I still think, and I think we've talked about this before, I still think that going to church is important. And I like how he, um, you know, there's like a connection between like meditation, church, therapy, you know, and all that kind of stuff. I, I actually really... I really like that and found that interesting. Right, right. I, I really thought that his take on religion was actually like very universal and like the way he talks about it makes it so accessible to uh, more people than just uh, religious people. Yeah, yeah. I, I just think it's crazy uh, that he's so young and a priest. I've never met a young, young priest before. So I was, I was really intrigued. I mean, 35 and you know, and a celibate priest. I mean, that's, I mean, clearly he has a calling, but I just find that really interesting. So I really feel like he has such an ideal view of what constitutes religion that a lot of people don't have these days. You know, people are usually caught up in minor details, trying to evaluate if, if like a certain thing is actually possible rather than acknowledging that religion is there primarily to help people. Yeah, I agree with that. I lose sight of that too, you know, um, especially growing up in this day and age. Um, we try to reason our way out of things where sometimes you don't need it, you know, you just need faith. And so I think it's a really, all really interesting concepts here. For sure. Yeah. Um, he has definitely inspired me to uh, start like taking the raw lessons as they are. Yeah, what do you think? We're we're gonna make a trip to Manhattan at some point and um, go to one of his services. Hey, maybe we'll be there for our brother's wedding. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's true. That's true. Yeah, we'll see. All right, Adi, thank you. I'll um, catch you on the next one. Thanks, Maria. Good talk. Uh...